know, for a sequel that is, you know, much anticipated, decades in the making, or at least that's kind of what it was pushed in the advertising, you know, we were very skeptical at first when we saw trailers for this. It feels like we've been seeing trailers for this for years. One of those things that could just could go either way. Yeah. With the original being such a classic. And you're bringing some original sequel. original cast back. Yeah. It feels very similar to the original, I have to say. Right. Top Gun Maverick was pretty fucking rat. <laughs> we weren't talking about Jurassic World. We were talking about Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> Jurassic World Dominion will have its time. But yes, yes. We, were, we were commenting on Top Gun Maverick, which is phenomenal. And is just blowing up in a way that I just never anticipated. And yeah. I don't really know why. I think it just, in my head, I was like, Tom Cruise has Mission Impossible and everything else is hit or miss in terms of yeah. like if people want to see it. But I, I kind of thought this would be almost yeah secondary in its like iconic or cultural place to yeah. his Mission Impossible stuff, just because his stunts in that, if not the movies themselves, his stunts in those have been so iconic. Yes, and no, people for sure. talk about how crazy he is and stuff. And I just thought this would be like, oh, cool, he's using his stunt craziness for other things too. Awesome. But and- as it turns out, this is what his. Is it already his highest grossing movie? Or it's his fastest grossing it's movie? It's probably his fastest. Or no, it's his biggest opening. Yes. Had his biggest opening weekend of his entire career. Which doesn't surprise me. And did we, not slump in the second or third weeks. I think, yeah, wasn't wasn't the drop like, 33, like 33%? Yeah, which, which is pretty low for a movie that big. Yeah. I mean, there's there are bigger films that have much harder yeah. drops. I mean, so. most of the Marvel movies, which are... You know, undeniable successes drop like sixty percent in the second week. Yeah, because like, no one wants to get spoiled in the week to come, so yeah. they just like fucking go as soon as they yeah. can. While as with Maverick, it has absolutely been a film where it's like the first people who went were excited and did yeah. not care if you know there were reviews that said it was ass or whatnot. Which thankfully, again, it didn't. Yeah, this, the word of mouth on this movie has been incredible. Seriously, this and it's, it was it's deserved. It genuinely surprised me how the initial reactions were all like, "This is a phenomenal film from top to bottom," and I'm like, "Yeah, I was like, oh, the really? Top Gun sequel, huh? Okay, yeah. which again, I, I don't feel that way about the first Top Gun. I, I think it's a solid, fun '80s movie. Absolutely, has not does not hold up that well. I am in the camp where I enjoy the film a lot. I see the iconography that people resonate, especially yeah. people who were our age or younger when they saw it in the original film in the in '86. However, when new people see it and say this is a dumb fucking movie, why do people love this film? I go. I can understand that, too. Yeah, I can see both yeah. sides of the table on that. And it's like, yeah, if you don't love Kenny Loggins, it's really just a love or hate kind of scenario <laughs> for you with that film. And ultimately, what's kind of crazy about that, too, is like, I think, because the last time I think this conversation about Maverick happened when it was in development was when it was possible that Tony Scott might come back. Oh, yeah. And then he unfortunately passed away in 2012, right. 2013. Was and it then it was like, long ago? Yeah, it was that oh, long ago. Okay. And it was like, who the hell could pick up the mantle? Because the way I think that, you know, the first Top Gun, I think I would, I admire that film a lot still is because of how Scott shoots it and how that film, even though it is absolutely silly script wise, <laughs> the, the, the cinematography, the direction, the editing, the choices all just give it an intensity that a film like that doesn't necessarily deserve. Yeah. But thankfully, Tony Scott is. He was such a phenomenal director to the point where it was like, of course, when he passed away, people were like, well, fuck, who the hell could fill that role? Mm -hmm. 
And I can't believe that it's again as someone <laughs> the guy who, who made the Tron sequel, as someone who loves Tron Legacy, <laughs> flaws and all. I am quite surprised how Kaczynski comes in, yeah, and is now like, oh, this is I guess Cruz's other guy. <laughs> like I was like, right, oh, that's yeah. right, he did Oblivion. Yeah, I was a little surprised it didn't end up being Chris McQuarrie, but that's probably just because he's, he's doing... been so busy with Mission Impossible yeah. and stuff. He and he does get a writing credit on yeah. Maverick. Again, that's which what's is so... kind of fun. Yeah, it's again and. Cruz is a controversial figure because of his religious ties, and it's understandable. Completely get that yeah. for people. However, it is not hard to just be astounded by the fact that this man has lasted this long in the industry, has a crew this talented that follows him wherever he comes, yeah. and has ultimately just been like made a film that is 40 years in the making, kind of off and on, right? and ultimately makes a <laughs> I think it's the prime example of how to make like a passing the torch like decades later sequel. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those great examples of like it feels like a film that could have come out in 87 in terms of the way that it's written. However, thank God it doesn't because that <laughs> age really helps yeah, yeah. build a lot of the ideas that they have there and And I've I've heard some people say and I love this note that like this is basically the first Tom Cruise movie to admit that Tom Cruise is old. Oh yeah. And I love that about it. Then that's part of his character. Yeah. And that he's you know, all the all the young young guns are like, you know, let's get the old let's take care of the old man yeah, and he's stuff. weird, rambunctious and old. Yeah. Like it's... and like kind of and, and I also like the carryover from kind of his Ethan Hunt character in the Mission Impossible movies that he's just he's kind people think he's kind of a lunatic just because he's such a loose cannon yeah. and so aggressive and stuff. And there's an element of that, obviously, in the original, but they really kind of focus on it in this one, and I really love that about it. But yeah, it's it's like, for a sequel that does so little to try and, like, subvert what the first one was all about, or, yeah. or subvert your expectations, it's really, like, convention to a T, but just done so well. Well, the plot beats are basically the first film again. Yeah, it's pretty much it, the same movie over again. Yeah. Just better um, yeah in like I, every way almost yeah because um, i mean every beat this time around feels like oh fuck they did set that up yeah right. i should have seen that coming well and Compared just the to, like, whole the f- like i mean miles teller playing goose's son and then he fulfills a very similar role in the movie yeah it, like that sounds tacky you know it sounds yeah. like oh really we're just gonna we're just gonna use goose's son to tell goose's story again but like it's not that and it they do have their own relationship yeah making, um, but making, it follows those beats and it really just hits all of them yeah making maverick the loose cannon teacher rooster you know goose yeah goose's kid is named rooster <laughs> i the, the, the ice, same hairstyle and mustache yeah the new Iceman rival is named hangman he's yeah. just as much of a dick and you know there's a there's a plot in terms of like a mission in Europe, it's very you know yeah. general in terms of where it is and who's doing it and whatnot. There's no real threat that's like specifically saying the Russians, but yeah, it seems pretty clear <laughs> to yeah. a degree. And I think it was smart though to be so vague with the military Absolutely. stuff because yeah. I, I think that's how this movie kind of smartly dodges the whole military propaganda you laser that these kinds of movies run into yes um, yes. because it is so vague because it's so detached from actual military operations it's just kind of it's almost like watching an anime where like the main characters you just accept that they fly planes um and they're really good at it and this is them being really good at it like you just they're not bombing cities they're not like 
in a real war. No. They're just taking care of a single problem. This is, it's it's treated as like it's an everyday thing. Right. Like you just this don't know. This is just their life. Yeah. This just so happens to be the Top Gun school. And it's like, <laughs> okay, shit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of just wild how unapologetically old school it is while also just being so modern in how it handles the action. Because what makes this film, to, in my opinion... Miles above the first film, and it's not again, and not against Tony Scott, because again, killer director in his time, and what makes this film so much more fascinating is just how the action is shot. Yeah, oh, it's the, phenomenal. Just the amount I mean, of the, wiggle room they're yeah, given. The actual insane. plane action in the first film is really not the highlight of the movie. No. It's kind of the implication of it, the you know, that these guys are this good at it, and this cool, and all that, and it's fun and awesome. Yeah, and they're just great personalities. They shot, a lot, one, they shot a lot on screens. They had yeah. even dioramas and whatnot. <laughs> miniatures. So, and, miniatures. Yeah. And this, it's... Yeah, it's... It's all plain. Everything, everything they could could do real, they did do real. Um, there's, there's one maneuver that happens in this film, and I won't spoil who does it or when it happens in the film, but it happens so fast, <laughs> and it catches me so off guard. I went in the theater, I think out loud, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and then the person in the film said, "What the fuck was that?" And I was like, "I'm glad someone else said that." Yeah, that was like, yeah, it's like losing my mind. I, I didn't know a plane could do that. Yeah, that looked like <laughs> magic, and I hate that someone knows how to do that. Yeah, and that's the film. Like, it's it's also so tight. It's like ten minutes longer than the first one, yeah. and it feels so much faster yeah, than the it first just one. Yeah, breezes by. It's wild, and also. There's a Lady Gaga song that's basically the take my breath away of this film. I will say it's, the Lady Gaga song, for me, probably the worst part of the movie. Oh, and I, I love Lady Gaga, it. but man, that did not work for me. Oh, I, I loved the fact that the film itself, because unlike Take My Breath Away in the first film where they play it, I think every fucking time yeah. that the love interest is or Kelly McGillis is in the scene with Tom Cruise. In, no, 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 no. in Maverick, they don't play the full song until the very end, but through the entire film, there is a motif, motif from yeah. the, the song. So when you get to that song playing blaring, it is so cheesy and 80s-esque in every way. <laughs> I could not help but be like, this is magical. This is something that very few could get away with, and everyone in this theater is having a good time. <laughs> and... It's wild, too, because I don't know about when you saw it in theaters, but when I saw it in theaters, it was a Sunday, like, afternoon, evening, and I... I on a Friday, opening Friday I night. was going to... Was it packed? Yeah. It was yeah. packed for me. It was packed on a Sunday, <laughs> and it was packed with people that were like, oh, we were trying to get tickets here, but they were sold out all day. Yeah. And there was a guy next to me that was like, yeah, I've never seen the original. Is it like this? And I was like, yeah, but much cheesier and sillier. And he's like, oh, okay. This was still great. Mm-hmm. Like there were people that were there just because their friends were seeing it and right, couldn't get yeah. seats. And seeing a packed IMAX for a fucking Top Gun sequel was yeah. wild. It, it's weird. You know, I almost hate to say this and just add to the redundant discourse, but um, it, it's almost weird to see that kind of flocking to a movie that's not like a marvel movie mm-hmm. be- just because like you know there's lots of people who like they may not be super invested in the marvel movies but they'll go see the new one because their friends are going to see it or because oh that looks kind of cool or oh i like the actor in it yeah and it feels like this is getting a lot of that attention too like oh i'm not that into top gun but everybody's talking about it so i'll go see it 
It's it's wild. And that's awesome. I mean, because your parents saw it. My parents saw it and loved it, which I really didn't expect. <laughs> I think my parents have yet to see it, but I because they're they're currently on vacation, which I yeah. hope they're having a blast. But at the same time, it's just like telling them about it. Like when the reviews were coming in the weekend it was opening, I was telling them because they were like, oh, "I can't be good, right?" <laughs> like, there's no way. Like Tom Cruise is crazy. There's no way that'll work out. And then I told them like, it made like eighty million in a day. They're like, it yeah. made 80? And I was like, and it's climbing. And the reviews are like giving it nine, nine and a half out of ten. And right. they're like, what? And they love yeah. the original. Like, they love the yeah. original. It's, you know, they love the, they've seen it so many times. My mom, I think, owns the CD track of the <laughs> of the, of the soundtrack of the original. And yeah. it's like, it's just wild to see this much kind of, kind of this energy from different generations yeah. in this film. Especially... I, I guess that I think was a big deal about the film was the fact that it was like an older generation coming back to the theater. But I don't even think that was the, like, I don't think Paramount or Paramount was like, haha, we always play in this. It was like, I think they're just as shocked. I think everyone yeah. involved is just as shocked. They're just like, I'm glad it turned out. Except for Tom Cruise, who probably was like, this was my plan. He all knew, along. yeah. Which was funny. Tom to... Cruise is probably like the most, like on a film set, probably the most influential non-director in hollywood like he's an absolute (laughs) madman yeah and the fact that they could put a mission impossible 7 trailer in front of maverick and it doesn't come out for another 14 months (laughs) and i'm sitting there going i can't wait to watch this trailer another 14 times before i see this film because i cannot wait oh so good can't wait to see tom cruise jump off a cliff (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean tom gun maverick is probably the best film out right now. Yeah. I think it, in terms of new releases. Yeah. And in terms of like 2022 so far, I for me, it's between that and Everything Everywhere. I mean, yeah. I mean, Everything Everywhere is still my favorite film of the year, but Maverick has surprisingly gotten to the point of like, God, if this makes it my top 10, I won't be surprised, but also, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> what a weird year. And, uh, well, and, you know, I'm sure Jurassic World Dominion will be just as good. <laughs> the reason why Andy is saying it like that is because we've already seen Dominion, but we're not going to talk about that. Because today, we're not talking about Jurassic World Dominion. Hello, everyone. I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And this is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. And on Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy, we take a trio of films, whether tied by cast and crew, director, thematic elements, or just numerical order. We take each film... We go through one by one and discuss the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And the reason why we're not talking about Jurassic World Dominion today is because in honor of that film's release this weekend, we are going to go through all of the Jurassic Park and World films. This is Jurassic June, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you survived the spring of Raimi, and now oh, you must take on the Jurassic, Jurassic June. June. We are covering today... 1993's Jurassic Park, 1997's The Lost World, period, Jurassic Park, and 2001's Jurassic Park 3. Yes. This is a classic, I would say a classic trilogy in terms of how, you know, the classic case of what happens when your first film is so fucking good. Right. That if you make a trilogy, what the hell do you even do afterwards? Right. And it's also the classic case of it's very clear if you've seen these films, if you haven't, you will know if you do watch, if you go through these films, that after Jurassic Park, you go, wow, where do you go? And then <laughs> yeah. you watch Lost World and you go, oh, 
okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of this trilogy as a whole. Because just going right into Jurassic Park, this is going to be probably a short conversation compared to the sequels because similar to our Matrix sequels episode when we talked about The Matrix, it's Jurassic Park. Yeah, like, we, we can gush over it all we want, but we're probably not going to add a whole lot to the conversation. It's just been a, it's a movie yeah. that's in everybody. It's ubiquitous. You it's know, everybody based, knows it. Everybody loves it. Yeah, it's based off of the classic novel by Michael Crichton. It was a film that was in development for a very long time. In terms of, I think, they started shooting, or at least pre-production was like, I think the 90, 90, 91. Yeah. And, you know, the the big thing about this film, too, is like initially when they were trying to do the dinosaurs, it was going to be stop motion effects. And they even did like test runs of it. And they decided kind of later in production, like, hey, what if we did CGI? And then ultimately leads Jurassic Park to becoming one of the trend centers and one of the juggernaut examples on how you can use CGI in a modern blockbuster successfully. Yeah. And, you know, you there's there's so much to say about this film, but it's already been said. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah. this film is insane, at least to me, because this is also the same year that Steven Spielberg will do Schindler's List. <laughs> Yeah. release it so it's like he not only makes one of the biggest blockbusters of the U, but also one of the best dramatic oscar winning films of 93 as well yeah. and it's just to see i mean again it's a dichotomy of just how strong of a director spielberg is from top to yeah, bottom kind of crowned himself king yeah. of both ends of the spectrum that year yeah and then i guess the only question we could try to answer is it's been 30 almost 30 years since jurassic park has come out has it aged at all? And the answer is, of course it has. Well, yeah. The film came out in 93. But at the same time, what's so kind of astounding, and I think what a lot of people forget, especially with older films or even younger, oh God, younger people or, you know, like kids <laughs> or teenagers kind of forget too when they watch movies like this, is like, just because they're dated, it doesn't take away from what the film is doing extremely well. And most times when you notice it, it's like a fleeting moment and you forget because you're just so invested. Yeah. We'll talk about this a lot with Jurassic World as well. That trilogy where it's the fact that like when it comes to computer generated effects, it to a degree, it doesn't matter if the story is good enough. And with Jurassic <laughs> Park... The story is phenomenal, straightforward. You have great characters with easy-to-see developed arcs. You have great performances across the board. And you just so happen to have badass raptors and, dino and dinos and T-Rexes and, stegos and stegosauruses. And I'm trying to think of other dinosaurs, but I don't want to say the wrong dinosaur. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you get a, just a whole myriad of dinos yeah. that are practical as well as computer generated which is again one of the reasons why this film is aged so fucking well is that it's mixed of practical and computer yeah. generated and yeah i guess all you can say too is this is just a film that feels like it is it is brimming with bisexual energy <laughs> i i'm glad i i feel like we need to say it if it hasn't been said already it's the leads are too hot sam neil jeff goldblum and laura dern <laughs> Across the board, they are a triangle of confusion and yeah. attractiveness. <laughs> and uh, John Hammond. I mean, Hammond is just a beautiful grandpa. Yeah. Hammond, again, with Richard Attenborough, which both Andy and I did not know was related to David Attenborough until we watched <laughs> this film again. But Richard Attenborough, again, this is another film where it's like, you can kind of tell, just like if you're thinking about like how Crichton is as a writer, oh, these are probably not how the characters are in the original sure, text. Yeah, yeah. 
but the performances are so interesting and unique and well-defined in their own way that it doesn't even really matter yeah. <laughs> in the long run because Hammond is great, Malcolm's great, Grant, Sadler, I mean, Lex and Tim, even Samuel Jackson, who has a small role. It's beautiful to <laughs> see him in there with a cigarette always attached to his bottom lip every yeah. single scene. Wayne Knight. Wayne Knight. Uh, you have... Uh, Dr. Wu, who will become fiendish <laughs> Dr. Wu in the Jurassic World trilogy. Uh, but yeah, it's just one of those where like kind of every... It's clear that there was so much attention to detail for every single part of the movie, not just the visual effects, not oh, just yeah. the, the spectacle of it, but also you know each individual character making them memorable and you know uh, that you could pick them out of a lineup almost. And also just kind of the... the themes at the core of the movie are interesting to think about because the movie is so philosophical talking about you know playing god and and you know just ian malcolm is kind of a catalyst for so much uh kind of conversation in the movie um that it's like for a movie this kind of bombastic and crazy and wild and scary and funny it's also pretty thoughtful He's, um, he's basically big foreshadowing the entire time in terms of like how this could go wrong and then it goes wrong, and it's like, oh, that cynical asshole is actually really yeah, right. Yeah. No wonder he's such he's such an asshole. What is it? I think he says in Lost World, like, God, I hate being right all the time. Yeah, <laughs> he looks out the window. Yeah, and what's so funny too is I think and we'll bring it up again in the Jurassic World trilogy, where it's like he says a line in this film that I think encompasses pretty much every film that comes out after this that has the Jurassic Park label on or the Jurassic label in general where it's like your scientists were so yeah. eager about if they could do it they didn't ask if they should. Yeah. Kind of like a paraphrase with that and it's like that's kind of just every film after this yep. because you just <laughs> there's just a lightning in a bottle here from the unconventional protagonist in Alan Grant to the cast to the John Williams score the the fact that like this is one of the biggest films and one of the first films to use CGI on a scale like this, and they already knew the best ways to hide the imperfections in like yeah. the lighting they, and the they rain, were predicting so many complications, and they were doing it so well. And it's just a film that is a it is a milestone in cinema, genuinely, especially in the eighties or nineties. Good God, yeah, especially in the nineties, and it'll ultimately lead to a point where it is such a lightning in a bottle project. Where the fuck do you go from there? And can you even top that? <laughs> and to just answer the question, going for the next five films on for the rest of Jurassic <laughs> June, no. Nope. You can't. So the question is, what do you do? And to answer that, we'll go right into The Lost World. Because yeah. The Lost World is fascinating because The Lost World is based off of a book loosely by Michael Crichton that only exists because of the popularity of of the Jurassic Park film. Yeah. Where 93's Jurassic Park is just absolutely a fucking bombastic blast at the <laughs> box office. Everyone loves it. I think it's, if it's not the highest grossing film of 1993, it is in the top 10, I would say. Yeah, has to be. And it's at the point where, like, Crichton, who kind of had ideas for a sequel to Jurassic Park but didn't really want to do anything with it, ends up kind of getting pushed, just, like, asked and pushed to do it. So he does a Lost World sequel. Well, a sequel called The Lost World. And as he's writing that sequel, Universal is basically <laughs> budding elbows with Spielberg going, hey. Yeah, they're looking over at his test and like, 
you're like filling hey. in his answers on theirs. You're like, hey, if you want, once he's done, you can have the rights. We can buy the rights to Lost World, and you can do yeah. it. And Spielberg has a response. Surprisingly, goes, I'm good. I don't really want to direct right now. I think I want to take a break because you know I did Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. That's mm-hmm. a lot. And I'd like to take a break and spend time with my family, but maybe I'll be a producer. How about you give it to this guy that I really trust, which is Joe Johnston, who's another director who will ultimately do another Jurassic Park film down the line. And at the time, he was going to be the director. And I think you said he was an ILM guy, Joe Johnston. Yeah, he was, I think, a visual effects supervisor for the Indiana Jones movie. I believe his first film that he directs is The Rocketeer. Yeah. Yeah. Which I still need to see, even I though I know people do not like that film. Or I it's think it's got like a it's a cult classic though. Yeah, I and think. it's getting a Disney Plus show, oh, I yeah. think, or a Disney Plus or like a sequel or something. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, so the guy that did the Rocketeer was scheduled to be the director for the Lost World. However, as time progressed, and you know Spielberg and David Kep, who helped write the script for the first film with Crichton as a uh, collaborator. Spielberg ultimately decided, all right, I'll do The Lost World as director, and I'll help out with that. And as I do it, the film is unsurprisingly loosely based off of the first film. Yeah. And you can see that, too, because, uh, spoiler alert for the Jurassic World book, if you haven't read it, the 30-year-old book. The uh, Jurassic Park book? Yes. Ian Malcolm dies in the (laughs) original book, and in the film Jurassic Park, he does not. So going into Lost World, the lead is Ian Malcolm. With no Grant, no Sadler, it's just Goldblum. Yeah. So already we're going off the rails because we have a dead man in the books right. lead in the sequel. Sans his co-leads. Yeah. Like. And a big thing, too, is that a lot of ideas are kind of mixed and matched together. Yeah. In terms of, like, there were, I think, a few ideas that Kep took from the novel. There are some ideas that Spielberg wanted to do. Spielberg was really set on taking ideas from Beasts from 20,000 Fathoms, The Lost World, which is where the namesake comes from, the 1920s film. Right. And ultimately, we get the ending that we get in The Lost World where it's like this film ends not at all what it was meant to end. (laughs) It ends with a T-Rex rampage in San Diego. Yep. And that was never the intention initially, but Spielberg kind of knew, I think, during production of Lost World, he was never going to come back for three, no matter what they did to ask him. So they were like, I'm going to do everything that I want to do. And so he did. And so for the Lost World, what you get as a sequel is kind of what I would say is like textbook sequel mistakes (laughs) in terms of like, how do you do another film about Jurassic Park when Jurassic Park doesn't exist anymore? Because, you know, it closed down. It never opened, actually. So it just kind of was just condemned. Right. And they're like, oh, there's actually another island right next to the island that Jurassic <laughs> yeah, Park was built. Classic retcon. Like. Yeah, and that's the island where we really were breeding dinosaurs, even though we were breeding dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. We were also breeding other dinosaurs yeah. and letting them habitate on Isla Sorna. Sorna. When the original film is Isla Nublar, it's uh, Isla Sorna in both two and three. Because, right. of course, I, you don't want to add another island of dinos. That, that makes it even worse. But yeah, just the what f- is it? The it's actually they actually reveal that Isla Nublar is part of a like an archipelago of five islands called yes. the Five Deaths. The Five Deaths. And Isla Sorna is specifically like the basically the Death Island mm-hmm. or whatever. Which was so funny too is in Jurassic Park, the company that creates Jurassic uh, that creates the whole park that Hammond owns, InGen. 
in that you kind of don't think about how incompetent they are so much as you realize the reason why it doesn't work is because they are so opt they're just so optimistic about their discoveries and they're so excited about the the money know, they'll make the success they'll yeah, bring the, the scientific yeah. advancements they've made yeah. by bringing back fucking dinosaurs they don't think about how this could really just fuck up their bottom line if they don't do it correctly and then they don't do it correctly and then in the lost world, it's like Jesus Christ, Engine is a fucking shit show of a company. Yeah. Because <laughs> Hammond is making, Hammond's putting Jeff Goldblum on a secret team to take pictures of the dinos that is on a second island that no one knows about. But at the same time, the new head of Engine, who is the <laughs> nephew of Hammond, has hunters trying to hunt down dinos to capture and take them to a new Jurassic Park facility that they want to create in San Diego. Yeah. And it just, you go and you go like... Yeah, everybody's on a different page in leadership there, I I guess. I think a lot of people forget, and me included, because it wasn't until we rewatched this, just how fucking silly Jurassic World is in terms of being like, oh, people just let this happen again. Yeah, like after there's no the, way after that would the happen. rampage that happens in San Diego. After the rampage, after making deals with the Costa Rican government to make <laughs> sure no one gets into that island, after just the the tragedy because it's a tragedy. Yeah, <laughs> it's so wild to watch the Lost World and just be like, yeah, this is about as good as it's gonna get, isn't it? <laughs> and it's the answer to that is yeah. Yeah, because the Lost World, it's fun. I think the Lost World is. I think what it does right, and maybe what it doesn't get enough credit for, is like being the more Jurassic World content that like children would have wanted at the time. You know, I mean, it it throws plenty of awesome dinosaur action set pieces. There's plenty of kind of like grisly violence in there. It's honestly a little bit darker and more violent than the first film. Still, tons of great practical effects. Um, I mean, in the whole that whole uh, the like bus or the truck falling over the, the cliff RV. sequence. Yeah, the, the RV, RV sequence is the best. That part sequence of the is film. iconic. It feels like I mean, honestly, in my kind of hazy childhood memory before we rewatched this, I couldn't remember if that was in the first film or if it was yeah. in this. You know, it feels like it fits in perfectly. Um, yeah, it's really just down to the your your main characters and the just kind of the overall writing of the story is not up to snuff. It's not as thoughtful as the first one is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not as memorable on a story basis. But like for kids who loved the first one and thought the dinosaurs were awesome, Lost World is kind of everything you could want. Um, so I think I think it's fun in that way and and deserves credit in that way because oh yeah I don't know that any of the other sequels really rival its ability to kind of maintain some of that yeah. excitement. I would probably say three does in a different way. Yeah, just not quite of, as much. Yeah, because I think the thing about Lost World that gets me is the fact that like there is genuinely in this film a lot of ideas working at once. There is a big thing about what Spielberg and Cap wanted to do with the second one. Is they wanted to push, they 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 say that like in the first in Jurassic Park it's supposed to be pick, like pushing carnivores versus herbivores and just oh, seeing yeah. like the difference between, you know, dinosaurs that are just like you know very uh, peaceful, very sweet against you know Velociraptors and T Rexes and you know scarier, more meat eating dinosaurs. <laughs> and then in Jurassic in Lost World, their whole thing was just they wanted to do a team of hunters and a team of gatherers on that island and seeing how they respond to 
kind of landscape, how the ecosystem has been since, you know, they've been breeding dinosaurs on Isla Sorna. What you get, hilariously, is you get two groups, one led by Ian Malcolm, one led by the nephew at InGen, and also, I cannot remember his name. Is it Roland? Is Roland. Which one? Oh. The, the, the big Pete, game hunter. Pete Postlethwaite? Yes. Yeah. I think he plays Roland in the film, his yes, character's name, yeah. who is there who is a big game hunter who is solely there to knock out and go up against a T-Rex, yeah. which is fucking rad. And what ultimately happened in The Lost World is there's there's a lot of good things set up, but ultimately it's clear at a certain point they're more interested in the set pieces right. than the actual development. Yeah. Because towards a certain point, as much as I love that RV scene, that's probably by far my favorite scene in the film, where the RV falls over the yeah. cliff... Because, like, I think the one shot that always gets in my brain is when Julianne Moore falls and hits the glass. Land, you see it cracking yeah, underneath it's, her. It's, yeah, that's, like, an iconic shot to me, probably the most iconic shot to me in the film. That scene takes up a lot more time in the film than I expected. It's kind of like three sequences in one. Yeah. Because like three it's, stage sequence, there's, Yeah, there's new installments, and there's someone else gets involved, and then, you yeah. know, this new thing happens. And there's even a part in the film where, like, you do not see Malcolm's team for a good chunk, maybe 10 to 15 minutes, you are with the Hunters. Yeah. And the Hunters are just arguably much more interesting than Ian, who Ian now, I think, is one of the reasons why I will give three more credit than two in terms of protagonist-wise. Ian Malcolm is not Alan's here. just a better protagonist. It's, yeah, and it's also it's Jeff Goldblum. It's, it's Jeff just Goldblum, Jeff yeah. playing Jeff. And it's clear when you watch The Lost World, like this cynical asshole doesn't work as well if he doesn't have more straight-laced, kind of almost optimistic people to bounce off of. Yeah, for sure. And and it's very... It's it's just so fascinating to see that his team is built with, like, a, a, big, tech, a big tech guy, Julianne Moore, who's, like, his current gir- girlfriend, I believe. Yeah, his, like, on-and-off thing. Uh, Vince Vaughn, who pretends to be a photographer, but he's really an eco-terrorist. So John <laughs> Hammond hired an eco-terrorist in disguise to sabotage... <laughs> his nephew's engine plans, which, again, just shows how fucking Succession-esque this bullshit they have yeah, to deal right. with. And then you have Jeff Goldblum's daughter, who is a gymnast, and you see that because she kicks a raptor out of a window. She kind of becomes a gymnast out of nowhere. I mean, yeah. they do mention it, but it's Once. kind of like, oh, now she's like an Olympic-level gymnast. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's one of those films where it's like the set pieces are fun. The characters are doing the best of what they can. Yeah. Spielberg, as a director, is definitely saving this film in terms of like he yeah, he's obviously the spectacle there, and it's yeah, still like, like looks and feels kind of fun. It's just not as but I will, memorable. I will also argue. I think a lot of people give this movie more credit because of how good Spielberg is as the director. Because if you look past that, the writing is not that great. No. The characters are very. Very expendable and very much do not have a lot of an arc. Like, I don't even know what Malcolm's real arc is other than be a better partner and dad. But doesn't get a lot of development because by the time you could have that resolution, he is <laughs> in San Diego yeah. trying to stop a T-Rex. And yeah. there's just not a lot of time. It, it, it very <laughs> much also just the, gosh, the massive oversight of, wait a minute, if the T-Rex is in containment on the ship... How does the ship come crashing into San Diego with a dead crew? This is something we haven't, we did not think about until we were watching it, where it was like, in the film, 
they bring back a T-Rex and a baby T-Rex at the finale of Lost World. So we assumed that the baby T-Rex had woken up and was just killing sailors on the ship. Therefore, right. that's why the ship is able to crash into the pier and the T-Rex gets out. No, the T-Rex, the baby T-Rex was sleeping the entire and time. injured. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it begs the question. Yeah, what the fuck? How did, did everyone die? die? Because uh, they're because dead. They wanted a set piece of the giant ship crashing into the dock. Yeah, it's pretty. At a certain point, it's pretty clear that Universal was just like, "I, we were gonna do this anyway." Spielberg, yeah. if you want to, if you, if it's a cool set piece, do it, do it. I this won't movie care. Kind we of feels shot out of a cannon. Not not intending to go anywhere or make any progress yeah. or move a story no. forward. It's just like dinosaurs go. Because it doesn't really make any progress. No. It just. It just adds more weird complications that are like, okay, now this just makes it even fat, more fascinating that no one else knew this was going to happen. Right, yeah. The fact that Costa Rica just didn't know, like they didn't talk to the Costa Rican government about their island because <laughs> yeah. the Costa Rican government doesn't really get involved until the very end of Lost World. Yeah. And it's all it's also just the fact that like they have, you know, they try to recreate to a degree the majesty of the seeing the dinos for the first time shot from the first film doesn't hit it's actually really <laughs> underwhelming in a very silly way they have a sequence with two t-rexes going against the rv so instead of one t-rex two t-rex because right. sequel and it's fun it's well done the t-rex is gorgeous both the t-rex look incredible yeah visual effects wise the visual effects fucking rule practical wise they definitely have shown their age i think a bit more than the original film because I think they're doing a lot more. They just have more that they're trying to do. Yeah, yeah and it's also like they are doing... What's also fascinating about Lost World, and I didn't realize until this viewing, is the fact that they're doing a lot more steady cam movement with the with the camera yeah. and the dinosaurs. So like, a lot of the CGI stuff in the first one was on locked-off shots. Yeah, it was, or, it, was yeah. Like on, it was like on dollies. It was like, you know, kind of very locked-off. And then in this, it's like there's a lot of movement happening. Like a lot of dinosaurs going from background to foreground, dinosaurs from the midground yeah. just kind of which going was over clearly, and... or at least it felt like, like a not a gimmick, but like they were trying to do, they were trying yeah. to do more with it, see, so push yeah. what they could, and you know they do, and it's kind of cool sometimes, but it's also doesn't like, quite look quite right this yeah. many years on. Because I think the only scene that kind of does that in the first film is the stampede scene. Yeah. Everything yeah. else, I think, is shot in a way... It's like all the CGI is off in that. the background, yeah. or it's off in the by dark. itself, not crossing over with like real plate people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this one, there's a lot of yeah background, foreground. Like the, the raptor chasing um, Goldblum's daughter, or Malcolm's yes. daughter. Yeah, and Julianne Moore. Yeah, yeah, and Julianne Moore, and yeah, she's bouncing. The raptors are bouncing all around. They like practically almost bump into the camera at one point. It's like, wow. Okay. You have great. You have a great little moment where they're trying to dig out from one side, and there's a man with a raptor glove just pretending to be a raptor <laughs> trying to get them. It's so good. I love that yeah. shit. I love that kind of stuff. And I mean, it's a, again, it's it's a, yeah, fun, it's a fun movie. movie. I would I, say it drags a little bit in the pacing. It is two hours still. Yeah. And I and, and that's one of the things that like I appreciated with three a bit more, in terms of like <laughs> shorter. Yeah, Jurassic Park three is ninety minutes. And the thing that Jurassic Park 3 is, I think Jurassic Park 3 is definitely a dumber film than the, than Lost World. Yeah. However, 
it moves so fast right. that when you have that issue, you go, oh, we're in a new scene. And it's also, oh, here we it are. also keeps Shit, things simpler. And yes. then it's just, we're going back to an island. Well, there's a reason why it's simpler. And we're I going don't back to an island and that. we're just looking for somebody and trying to survive. Yeah, because the thing about dress about Lost World is that it was it was mixed critically in terms of who liked it, but it was a success. It made, yeah. a, made hundreds of millions of dollars. It was a worthwhile sequel to Universal. Pretty much the year after that, they said, we're doing Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> There's no way we're not going to. And then Spielberg went, okay, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'll probably be producer, if anything, but I think Joe Johnston should finally have a shot to do this because I trust him. Mm-hmm. So Joe Johnston is now finally a director of a Jurassic Park film. And what transpires for the next, like, two years is different idea after different idea after different idea to the point where when they actually go into production with their film, I and again, I would I only saw this once, but I if I would not be surprised, especially how the film ends, they went into production without a finished script. <laughs> this film, it was at a point where Joe Johnston, I think at some point contemplated quitting because he was like, I have no idea how this is supposed yeah. to end. And I don't even know if I'm supposed to be the one to come up with that. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately what you get in Jurassic Park 3 is... It's another Jurassic Park sequel. It is Alan Grant basically gets tricked to get put onto Isla Sorna to help a divorced couple find their kid that was lost there like was, two months ago. Is it that long? I think it's a yeah. long it's a long yeah, time. He, yeah, he says something like eight weeks. He's, or something. Yeah, he's basically their son was basically doing a parasail thing close to Isla Sorna, even though they weren't supposed to. Yeah. And his stepfather slash her slash mom's boyfriend yeah. you know takes him on the trip they get lost in isla sorna the mom's boyfriend dies eric goes missing so like the parents basically drug alan Grant <laughs> to get onto the island and then what transpires is they get stuck on the island they have to find their way off and also find eric yeah and that's the plot and then similar to lost world a lot of it is just like set piece after set piece yeah instead of the t-rex it is the spinosaurus because the uh is it James? No, it's James not Horner. Is it? No, it's Jack Horner. Because James Horner. Horner is the composer. <laughs> Jack Horner, who was their uh, their Dino collaborator, their consultant From, since like the first or kind of the inspiration for the dinosaurs in the yeah. first two films. Yeah, too. and he was the inspiration for Alan Grant. Yes, and Jack Horner was a big fan of the Spinosaurus and wasn't a big fan of how much the T Rex got a lot of love <laughs> after the first two films. T Rex needs taken down a peg. Yeah, says Jack Horner. So Jack Corner was like, why don't we try doing the Spinosaurus and try to make that cool in the new Big Bad? And so the Spinosaurus is the new Big Bad, and it's a dinosaur with a bigger beak. <laughs> and yeah, also, it's like a skinnier, taller, longer T-Rex with a longer snout and spines on its back. And it spines and also can swim, which is the coolest part when about it, the Spinosaurus. And it kills the T-Rex in the T-Rex's first scene. Yes. Crowning it the new Big Bad. Yes, which is funny. <laughs> very funny, very very funny, and the fact which that also you know if you if you keep up with the kind of ever changing science of paleontology and dinosaur studies like our good friend Adam does, that Spinosaurus versus T Rex scene feels kind of laughable now because now the science has moved to a point where we realize Spinosaurus was never that big of a deal. <laughs> Also, it just never looked like that. Yeah, it was a it was a down on the ground like all fours swimming creature. To quote our friend would never Adam, conflict. He with... is more of a humble fisherman yes. than he is a killer. Right. And 
It is funny to think about that watching this film. Watching because, him tower over the T-Rex corpse. Yeah, the, the big thing about 3 is there is the Spinosaurus becoming the new big bag and a big pterodactyl birdcage. There's yep. a big scene where there's a pterodactyl birdcage. They go through it. I would say it's probably the best part of the film because I think that's where like the best filmmaking happens in terms of like the introduction of the pterodactyls, yeah, yeah. the whole scene it's itself. It's suspenseful. It's yeah. a little bit creepy. Yeah. Billy gets his time to redeem himself because he's an idiot who thought stealing Velociraptor <laughs> eggs was going to go well. Got lost along the way. Got some great Alan Grant lines coming in. I mean, it's... Yeah. The thing about Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 is that they both are kind of interchangeable in what their decisions are, and they have their own different... They have their different strengths and weaknesses in places, but overall, it's like... They're both Jurassic Park sequels. They both go on an island that we didn't know existed yeah. <laughs> until now. And also, They're both ultimately lazy sequels. Yeah, and they both tried to bring back original cast members to try to basically bring people into seats yeah. to breathe life into a sequel that obviously wouldn't probably be made if they couldn't bring at least one of them back. Yeah. So with Jurassic Park 3, they bring back both Ellie to an extent. And yeah, she's got a kind of reduced role. Yeah, she... <laughs> An out-of-the-action role. The funny thing, too, is that in the original film, there is very clearly, to a degree, like an older student-teacher dynamic with Alan Grant and Ellie Sadler. Yeah. Because in reality, when they were shooting the film, Laura Dern is like 20, if not in her early 20s, yeah. and, and uh, Sam Neill's in his early 40s. Yeah. So it's like, you know... When you watch that film, you won't. You will kind of think that they're like, are they trying to push? Yeah, them together? it's a little bit like there. There's not. And there's there's a, not exactly sexual tension, but no. there's not not sexual. You know, it it feels like there could be something there, but the film never really pushes it or anything like that. Yeah, it just feels like uh, Grant as a character at the very beginning of Jurassic Park one. He's very much a curmudgeon who's like, I don't want. Yeah. No marriage, no kids, out of that kind of guy. It's all about dino bones and velociraptors. But he does have some kind of particular affection or affinity for Ellie, Ellie Sattler because they're so on the same page about their their passions and that sort of and thing. And they both went through a harrowing experience together, so that definitely <laughs> yeah. helps. And in Jurassic Park 3, even as a kid when I saw Jurassic Park 3, I always thought it was weird that Ellie and Alan didn't get together. Sure. But then you think about it, yeah, in hindsight, it's like, yeah, that is kind of like if a if it was a film about like a <laughs> like a college professor and his like one of his students or like, or like teachers the sequel. or like yeah. a teacher's assistant that's like yeah. not that much older than one of his students. Yeah, and they're pushing like a relationship between yeah. them. And then it's, you come back for the sequel and they're married with kids and it's like, "Oh, okay. Yeah. Not that that can't happen, no. but like, yeah." Um, but I do think it was smart yeah. at the time to kind of separate them in that way although i do wish we got more ellie <laughs> in this movie yes um, mostly I, I, because you know the characters that replace her <laughs> are not anything special yeah the big thing too about three is that similar to one similar to lost world it's like the the group that alan leads is just so not they're just cartoonish idiots they're which is fine they're like, a talented cast with nothing to do yeah they're they're entertaining at times just because of their stupidity and and their kind of ludicrous reactions to things but it gets a little bit tiring you start to feel like alan grant as you're watching the movie where he's just tired of them and doesn't want to deal with you, them you get william h macy he's who like was, why am i here yeah you get william h macy being william h macy which i love william h macy yeah but 
it's very clear that he's just putting it's on kind of like a one note character. Yeah, yeah, you have Tia Leone playing his ex-wife, who is the, probably the most annoying of all the characters, and that's a bummer because she's like the only she's the only woman <laughs> yeah. in the film really with a, with a prolonged yeah. role. You have Alessandro Nivola, who we. Most people might know him as Pollux Troy in Face Off when we talked about yeah, yeah. the Action Hero trilogy because he plays Castor Troy's brother in Face Off. And in this, he plays a weirdly weird choice. Well, he's the he's the weird nerd in Face Off, like and the weird nerdy yeah. introvert. And here... He's he's like the hot archaeologist. Yeah, he's like the little heartthrob kind of ed- edgy hero he's guy. Like, he's like, to a degree, a male Ellie mixed with... Ian in terms yeah. of just like how sensual he can be about like yeah just dinos in general he's kind of, like, yeah the romanticized he's also a badass that does like extreme sports stuff because yeah. it's 2001 <laughs> and then there's Eric who is the son who I think is probably my favorite of the new characters just because I like I like plucky kid that actually survives after eight weeks on an island. Yeah, and, and he kind he's... of becomes this sort of Mad Maxian figure where he's learned how to survive and has this whole getup and he's... all these gadgets he's put together. Saves Alan Grant from Velociraptors with smoke grenades, admits to being under a T-Rex while they peed. Yeah, yeah. And has well, just and like saved some T Rex piss. He's been eating he's been eating beans for eight weeks. Right. Like he's just he's definitely the quote unquote best, but there's just not anything yeah. really written for them so it's just kind of like oh, okay it's just alan grant with a bunch of expendable people yeah they're all just an excuse to frustrate and yeah. pull alan grant into all this and again the thing that so that shows how much sam neill is a goddamn good actor is even though you can tell he is here probably for the money <laughs> the man anytime he's given a chance to to shine he takes the sun and he runs with it the man shines bright when they give him a time yeah. to like give off those lines of just like you know almost dogmatic kind of energy yeah it's well like, un- God. Un- unlike uh how jeff goldblum is used as ian malcolm in lost world he still feels exactly like alan grant yeah he he carries that energy forward he feels like a guy who has learned things since the last movie probably got a and bit is continuing more... to learn things yeah and he's, he's probably been a bit more cynical yeah. closer to ian because of his experience at jurassic yeah, park whereas ian just becomes jeff goldblum in the lost world yeah because like, hilariously enough and this feels very much to reality for sam neill is the fact that alan grant is constantly like annoyed that people do not want to ask about his actual research they just want to constantly ask him about jurassic park yeah or what happened with ian in lost right. world and he's like i wasn't even in san diego <laughs> please yeah I want to do actual things that I can do now. Probably some parallels to Sam mm-hmm. Neill's career there. Well, what we got? We got some. We got a fun. We got a fun pterodactyl birdcage scene. Probably my favorite yeah. scene in the film. Well, we got... and it's the the franchise's introduction to pterodactyls. Yes, that um, was that was the big deal because they planned to do that in Lost World and just couldn't. Yeah, it was um, a, it was a last minute change because they just didn't have the time to throw them in there. Yeah, they do throw them in at the very end to show them just kind of hanging out. Yeah. They were never in the film. There is kind of a history in this franchise of, like, planning to include a particular species of dinosaur, but not being able to for, you know, technical reasons or whatever, and then doing it later. Like, this one was supposed to have the uh, Kronosaurus in it, the big, giant, underwater dinosaur, which then later kind of plays a prominent set-piece role in Jurassic World. Yeah. Um, And... 
I mean, the big. Th- I mean, it's also funny too. Is like I, the series has a bunch of ideas that just get pushed on down the line until you know the world trilogy. But like, yeah, hilariously, the whole Chris Pratt riding a motorcycle with <laughs> raptors. <laughs> To a degree, was kind of what Spielberg wanted to do in The Lost World. He wanted to have a motorcycle chase scene with Raptors. Yeah. So kind of to the same degree, they kind of did that. They wanted to do that, but had to cut that. And I think at a certain point, which is, I think, why in Jurassic Park 3 it feels like they're not pushing the envelope as much, is the screenwriter David Kep for the first two films. I don't know if he actually wrote the screenplay for 3. I think he was uh, a consultant, maybe not a... No, not, he like, was not the screenwriter. He did not write. Yeah, I don't think he was credited, but I think he did kind of throw ideas to Johnson and Co. Just like trying to figure out what they wanted to do. But I know that when Kep was having difficulty writing Lost World, he would literally get letters from kids who loved Jurassic Park. And I think one of the ones that like really defined ultimately what he went with that film, and I think inadvertently every film after that, yeah, they basically the kids said, "Listen, as long as you have a T Rex and Velociraptors, I'll be fine. You can add more in <laughs> yeah. there, but like make sure T Rex." Velociraptors. Yeah. And with three, you still get a little bit of T-Rex, but of course they're going to replace that with the Spino because Jack Horner wants to make the Spinosaurus cool as hell and badass mm-hmm. and he wears sunglasses. And also rings. That is, that is, God, three, I will say out of the three of these films, is the most uh, ironically funny or just unexpectedly funny. Yeah, yeah. Because what's also funny too is because the most iconic funny scene from three is Alan's dream sequence where he <laughs> sees Billy as a raptor saying, Alan. Alan. And um, what's so funny about that scene is I did not realize to a degree that that's kind of foreshadowed in a weird way because the scene prior, two scenes prior, you see Alan at Ellie's house trying to make a parrot, uh, a, a parrot say his name. Yeah, yeah. And it won't say his name. <laughs> and then I think in a dream scene, he just sees. Right, right. Which is like, if that's what that's supposed to be foreshadowing-wise, nothing in this world could foreshadow a velociraptor talking to you. Yeah. But it's so it's also funny well, I don't that... Know, maybe, maybe it's also kind of some light foreshadowing for later in the movie when he talks to the velociraptors. That is true. Because he, he, they 3D print a uh, <laughs> velociraptor's like nasal cavity um, that produces their, their iconic sounds. I don't even know if it's 3D print. I thought they had a wood machine. Like, they made it out of wood. I think it's plastic. Oh, it's plastic? Yeah. I don't... It's like a like an early 3D printer. Yeah. Like, and the way they describe it, too, is, like, they don't even have the words for it. Because 3D still... printer's not a term yet. It's like the year 2000. They're yeah. still using, like, an Apple II to make a fucking right. Velociraptor right. whistle. And so he has this, yeah, this Velociraptor ocarina that he blows into and manages to make the... The friendly raptor sounds to get the raptors to not kill them. Which, in case you're wondering, it is in Dominion. You do see the Velociraptor whistle for a little bit. You do? It's in the background of his camp. Oh, yeah. It's literally on like a little pedestal. Yeah. (laughs) So that's a nice little reference to three in there. Now we're done with Dominion. We're not talking about it now. We haven't um, seen it yet. Yeah. (laughs) That's just from the trailer. Yeah, of course. Sure. (laughs) I like hope I just, it. I hope it's as good as Top Gun Maverick. It's, it's not like we've already seen it. We're just not <laughs> going to talk about it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the thing with Jurassic Park Three is similar to World. It's got fun set pieces. It's dumb. You yeah. have uh, you have a lead from Jurassic Park that is doing his best with pretty with an unfinished script apparently, which is not surprising. <laughs> and you have a director who I think does a really good job with what he's given, and it's very clear that like. It's hard shoes to fill in, like going from Spielberg to Joe Johnston, and I think he's very well aware of that and is trying to do his own thing. Yeah. And I think he does. And I think 
I've always kind of, I think these last couple of years, I think to an extent, not to the same extent, but like to a degree, I've kind of treated Jurassic Park 3 like Spider-Man 3 as if it's like a zero out of 10 film. Mm. But until this rewatch, like rewatch, you know, it's like, oh no, this is still fun. It's also 90 minutes. So like, yeah, even I've, if I get bored, it's already moving on. I definitely softened on these two movies a lot. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, they're com- still, they're, they're, okay movies yeah not good necessarily but and they're okay and has and the the issues that jurassic world has in their sequels do not permeate in these films in these films the issues they have is just the fact that like they are trying their hard to get back up into the lightning in the bottle area and yeah, they just, just can't it's just how do we how do we keep this story going and they don't really have a very good or concrete answer yeah. th- th- these um, are films that i can understand why you know Adam really enjoyed the, the Lost World as a kid and has oh, a soft spot for it. Uh, my girlfriend has a soft spot for three. I'm pretty sure I saw three in theaters when I was really young because I remember the the Alan scene scaring the shit out of me. Yep. But I also remember seeing trailers for like you know the pterodactyl cage and how right. rad that right. was and the the poster with like the metallic wall and the red T Rex kind of silhouette <laughs> and you know the pterodactyl silhouette as well and. I yeah. do think though this this trilogy f- feels maybe more unusual or you know to to invoke the show's name a little more odd now just yeah. because I think we're used to to bigger franchises and iconic movies producing kind of more consistent movies from them you know mm-hmm. you Fast and Furious and Marvel yeah. and Star Wars you know but like I guess, you know, back then when a movie was huge, of course it got sequels, and there was no guarantee they would be good. Like, No, no, yeah. <laughs> the quality control was, like, almost never there. I think um, the one compliment so I can... So this does feel like kind of that a retro trilogy. Yeah. First one's iconic. Other two, yeah. They're part of the box set. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're, they're, like, they're, they are to me, like... Again, like with a lot of people, you know, like Ninja Turtles 3, where it's like, ah, I, I don't want it, but it's a part of the box set. Right, and yeah. I'd like to finish. I'll take it. Yeah. And I think the thing that I will give this trilogy, especially the two sequels, and I don't mean this in a backhanded way, but I, especially after the Jurassic World films, hmm. I will say that I appreciate how delightfully simple Lost World and 3 are. Yeah. Because they are not trying to reinvent the wheel. Which I'm yeah. not saying world is bad for trying. I'm saying when you try to reinvent <laughs> something, or when you try to, you know, shake the found, break the foundation and make a new one, you risk making a worse film than you probably would have yeah. if you just did the first film again. Well, and it's also and, it's one of those situations where you can't quite have your cake and eat it too. You kind yeah. of have to choose whether mm-hmm. you're going to do it again. Or, yeah, reinvent the wheel or, or subvert it completely. Yeah. And it kind of tries to go for both. Doesn't quite get there, but we'll we'll save that discussion. For, yeah, and basically both Spielberg and Johnson and, and David Kep to a degree as well, it's like all of them basically treated the Jurassic Park sequels as like a sandbox. And they had toys. And they're like, okay, what are we gonna, how do I make this different from Spielberg? Or how do I make this different from the yeah. first film? And they just like... Ooh, let's have a birdcage that's super huge and has pterodactyls, and you know, let's it, have two T Rexes and they attack right, an RV. Right. It and... just feels like 
kind of natural progression, even when the story doesn't totally make sense. It yeah. just kind of feels like, okay, well, we told that story. Okay, let's tell the next story. <laughs> like, this, these, let's, let's move forward with this and yeah. let's do another one. And These two films are the type of films where I feel like in this day and age, if someone said to me, like, I've only seen The Lost World or Jurassic Park 3, like, I don't know, three or four times, but I've seen this scene from this film at least 30 times. Yeah. I would understand. Yeah. Because, like, I can see myself in the future not really looking forward or, like, actively trying to push to watch The Lost World unless someone really wants to. But I might if the algorithm on YouTube is like, hey, remember that RV scene from Jurassic from yeah. Lost World? And I'm like, hell yeah, I do. I know it's 1 a.m. Yeah. I'm going to watch it. Give and me it's, six minutes of Steven Spielberg goodness injected it, into my veins. Yeah, it's basically what YouTube treats Peaky Blinders now, where it's like, <laughs> I don't know why this is here in my algorithm. You get Peaky but I'm bored. scenes? Yeah, and I don't even watch Peaky I've Blinders. I've never watched any Peaky. I've also never gotten a clip. Of course, now that I say that, my phone's sitting next to me. Yes. I will start getting Peaky it's Blinders. It's wild clips. how like I watched a scene from like a gangster film i think that i I mean because you know there's scenes like from like you know killing me softly there's a phenomenal scene with brad pitt at the very end of that film there's you know boardwalk empire you know sopranos i just watch one fucking scene (laughs) from an hbo show and i get anything that has to do with gangsters in any time period in any country on my algorithm (laughs) thankfully it seems to have died down but for the longest time, I don't think I could go to the bathroom and look at my phone and not see at least five different Peaky <laughs> Blinders videos from five different channels. And I uh, don't understand why YouTube thinks that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's the Jurassic Park trilogy. Like, it's cut and dry. It's overall unnecessary as a trilogy. But if you watch all three films, you will have a good time. Yeah, it's, and it's also quaint looking yeah. back and thinking about them. When you realize I, there's a whole other trilogy. Because I think for you, because for me, the first film's like a five out of five. Yeah. I think it's I think it's a classic. And I think Lost World and three are to me they're both three out of fives. They're pretty yeah. they're pretty standard, really fun. But you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna defend their life. They're not gonna defend right, their right. honor because they are what they are. And I think you, I mean, you, I think, because on Letterboxd, I think you liked Lost World a little bit more than three, which understand. Uh, yeah, I think, like, yeah, it's between a three and a 2.5. Yeah. You know, they're, they're both fine films that I feel moderately more positive about than negative, you yes. know? Like, yeah. It's one of those, it's one of those, it's one of those it, they're trilogies. They're kind of good mediocre. Like, yeah. It's, it's the, it's the good problem to have where it's like, you know, you might have a random day where it's like. You know what? I think three is my favorite today of the sequels. No, wait. Lost World. Yeah. And then well, the next day you're yeah. like, ah, I'm going to switch it. And it's like, <laughs> it doesn't matter because it's like Jurassic Park is the king right. and will never be taken off. Or yeah. queen because the T-Rex is a female. But is the queen of the trilogy and the franchise as a whole. Yeah. Which we will definitely get to in our <laughs> next episode, which, you know, since we always record live. Yeah. You know, today is June 11th. On June 25th, we're going to close out Jurassic June. I know, I know. It just seemed like we started it this yeah. episode. Now we're going to end it? Well, Gone too soon. Don't worry. You're, you're going to get a lot of content in this next one because <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. Because This after, episode is 65 million years in the making. <laughs> 14 years after Jurassic Park 3, we get a new trilogy in the Jurassic franchise that is by far... To just as an understatement, made very, very, 
very interesting choices across the board. Yeah. Definitely more time needs to be allotted to those three because they make some baffling decisions. <laughs> and those films, in case you don't know, are 2015's Jurassic World, 2018's Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and 2022's Jurassic World Dominion. And I... <laughs> We, again, we are not going to spoil how we feel about Dominion here. If you follow us on social media, you probably already know. I can't but, wait to watch it. Oh, my God. Yeah, can't wait to watch it 37 more times. Can't wait to love it as much as I Top will. Gun Maverick. I will admit, though, and this is going to be interesting because this is going to be... The next episode is definitely going to have a little bit of a hot take city moment because Uh-oh. my opinions on Fallen Kingdom yeah. are definitely in the minority. But there are reasons for it. I'm, I'm interested to see how I feel because we we haven't actually rewatched um, these movies Andy, recently. Jesus. We'll have to do that in prep for the next episode. But you know, I haven't seen Jurassic World the first one since I thought saw it in theaters. I think, and I had a heck of a hot take on that movie at the time. And I'm interested. I, I don't feel that way anymore, but I'm interested to see. Was it a positive hot take? Yeah. Oh, uh, I think I know but this I'm hot take. Interested to see. Um, how I feel about it on rewatch because it's it's soured immensely in my mind, but I still appreciate mm-hmm. things about it. So I'm just interested to see when we rewatch it if I'm like, maybe there was some truth to that, or no, not at all. Yeah. So tune in next episode when we talk about how our hot takes have maybe changed, if not at all. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, tune in on the 25th when we talk about the Jurassic World trilogy. But until then, I'm Logan Sowash and I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.